You are listening to the weekly sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church in Canton, South Dakota. We're a church that strives to make disciples of Jesus Christ who make a difference. To learn more, visit us at cantonsdumc.org. And now, here's Pastor Clay. Our scripture this morning comes to us from the book of Isaiah in chapter 55. I'll be reading verses 6 through 11. And this is the Good News Translation, which is the same translation as your pew Bibles. And you can turn to page 803 as we read together these words from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah said to the people of God, Turn to the Lord and pray to him now that he is near. Let the wicked leave their way of life and change their way of thinking. Let them turn to the Lord our God, for he is merciful and quick to forgive. My thoughts, says the Lord, are not like yours, and my ways are different from yours. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways and thoughts above yours. My word is like the snow and the rain that come down from the sky to earth to water the earth. They make the crops grow and provide seed for planting and food to eat. So I will be the word that I speak. I will not fail to do what I plan for it. It will do everything I send it to do. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you. For you, O God, are our rock, and you are our Redeemer. And we give you thanks for who you are as we say together, Amen. So after a year of studying music education at Northern State University, I was becoming uh, more convinced that I was heading toward seminary and ministry, and so I changed schools to the University of Sioux Falls to get a solid theological foundation heading into seminary. And so two weeks into my time as being a theology major, I was excited to learn that our professors had called an all-department meeting. All of us, professors, theology students, all of us gathered together in Z Hall on the campus of USF. And I stayed excited for that meeting until the point that I learned that during that meeting we were taking a 100-question, multiple-choice test about theology. I'd been a theology major for two weeks. I thought to myself, am I being punked? Are there hidden cameras around the room to catch the reaction of very, very terrified theology students? And when I tell you that my hand shot up into the air, and I said, I've only been here for two weeks. There's no way I have to take this test, right? Well, no, I did have to take that test. It had something to do with the effectiveness of gauging the effectiveness of our theology department, and it also had something to do with our accreditation. No pressure. And I got to tell you that these questions were from an entirely different world. Months earlier, I had been a music education student, and I took tests on things like the circle of fifths and chord progressions, and I was just hoping to pass at least one part of piano proficiency. I didn't. And now here I am in this room answering questions about a theologian named Karl Barth and Soren Kierkegaard. Here I am taking guesses about questions about pneumatology 
and the substitutional atonement theory. I was out of my league. And I don't know if this makes it worse or better, but I have to this day no idea how I did on this exam. I have no idea how many questions I managed to guess correctly because I didn't know a thing. But I got to say, the theology department at USF is still in existence, so it can't be all bad. And I now know all of the words that I didn't know on that test. If we are talking about Christian jargon that makes no sense, that test was a trial by fire for me. But I know that my experience is not unique. I know that there have been times when we have heard a word, maybe it was in a Bible study, that we just didn't know and didn't even know how to ask. Or we heard a word in a sermon or read something even in the, in the Bible itself that we didn't know, so we just skipped it. It happens, and it's okay. And maybe the fate of an entire theology, theology department is not on our shoulders, but not knowing is still not fun. And so this morning we are embarking on a journey of unpacking these words, of demystifying Christian jargon, and we are starting with the mother of all of those words. We are starting with the word theology. And just by looking at the word, we know at least half of it, because as with all ology-type words, it is the what? Thank you. Yes, it is the study of something, but what? So we're left with the other half of it, the study of Theo. Theo Huxtable came to mind for me earlier this week. Rest assured, we're not studying the Cosby show, I promise. The word Theo, the second half of that, or the first half of that word, comes from the Greek word for God, which is theos. So theosology, the study of the things of God. Or said more officially by a theology professor named Stanley Grenz, uh, theology is the study of religious belief systems about God and ultimate reality. And theology commonly refers to the ordered and systematic study and interpretation of Christian faith. And theology seeks to apply the truths of God to the full breadth of human experience and thought. So basically, theology is the study of all the things about who God is. And so let me ask you this morning a very important and very theological question. Who is God? Who is God? And on the surface, that question seems really easy to answer. God is the big man upstairs. God is the creator of the universe. God is our heavenly father. God is the one whom we hope to see and understand in fullness when our life on this earth has come to an end. And while that may be a good start to the answer of the question, it is only scratching the surface. Because God is big. God, the subject of theology, is so vast and so complex. 
I mean, think with me, if you will, of the scripture that we just read this morning. Think of what God says about God's own self. My thoughts, say the Lord, my thoughts are not like yours, and my ways are different from yours. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways and thoughts above yours. God is beyond us. Which is why earlier in Isaiah's words to the people of God, Isaiah urges, implores the people to seek for God, to turn to the Lord and pray, for, pray to him now that he is near. Or as it said in a different translation, um, seek the Lord while he can be found and call upon him while he's near. And so despite the fact that God is so far beyond us, despite the fact that God's ways are so far beyond our ways, in God's love and mercy, God has made part of himself known to us. God has given us a divine revelation to know who God is. And that allows us to do these things that Isaiah is begging the people of God to do. So let me ask you another big and important theological question. How is it that we do this turning and this praying? How is it that we seek and call on God when God is near? Where do we seek? Where do we search for this God who is so far beyond us and yet so near? And the source of all of that, the very start of any answer to that question, has to rest on the word of God itself, has to rest on the words of Scripture. If you've ever been to my office, you will know that I have quite a few books. There are books that I've acquired during college and seminary as I was trying to figure out what in the world was on that test I had to take so long ago. Others have been given to me by colleagues as they entered into retirement, and there's even a commentary set that came as a gift to me from my mother-in-law. But the most important books in my office are my Bibles. I would be nowhere without them. Back in seminary, my backpack got stolen, and I lost my laptop, I lost everything. I learned about the importance of backing up digital files that day. But the joy of that situation is that while the cover of my Bible was in my backpack, my actual Bible was with me. So they didn't steal my Bible. I would have been lost without it. The Bible is our primary source of searching and knowing who God is. God, the, our, the, the Bible is our basis for all of our theology. And near the end of John's gospel, John reveals the reason why he wrote the account that he wrote, saying that Jesus did a bunch of stuff that he didn't write about, but that John wrote these things down so that we can believe in Jesus and in believing have life in his name. And I know that John wrote that and he was thinking about the gospel of John when he did that, but I think that applies to the whole of Scripture. The reason why we have the Bible is that so we can discover who God is. 
Because the reality is, is that God loves us and wants to be in relationship with us. And through the inspiration of human authors revealed God's self to us so that we can know more. So that we can draw strength and inspiration from the examples of those that have gone before us. That we can have faith in the midst of adverse times like Joseph from the book of Genesis. That we can have a faith like David and be called a person after God's own heart. That we can seek wisdom like Solomon and believe like Timothy and share the gospel like the Apostle Paul. And ultimately, through the study of Scripture, we can bring our whole selves to life in God's way. That's why the Bible is not just one theological treatise. That's why the Bible is not, as some people think it is, just a big list of do's and don'ts. But what the Bible is, is God's relationship story with humanity. The Bible is not just a recitation of the past. It's not just the story of Israel and eventually the story of the church. No, every story and every prophecy and every teaching and every admonition and every command points beyond the human author to the author of all life. Every word in the Bible points us to who God is to the one who came in the person of Jesus and who now dwells with us by the power of the Spirit. God loves us. We learn about it in Scripture. We also learn about how we can become the children of God and how we should live in order to grow in that love and our understanding, to grow in our theology. And so, friends in Christ, the Bible is open to us through the work of the Holy Spirit, and it is our clearest and our strongest counsel. And so I urge you to read the Bible for yourself. To study the Bible and learn about not only yourself, but God. And apply the Bible and let it change your life. This is the task. This is the joy. This is the hope of theology. And join me after church for a 100-question multiple-choice test. That's a joke. Let's pray together. Loving God, we give you thanks for the way that you have given for us to know you, for the ways you've given for us to know you. God, you gave us your word, and through your word, you encouraged us to read it, and not just to read it, but to ingest it, and to let it just be at the very source of who we are, And so we just simply seek to follow. Inspire and enliven us again today, O God, to seek you and to seek you through the words of Scripture. Let it be the source of our lives. Let it be the source of our theology. Let it be the source of everything that makes us who we are. God, help us to grow into your image. Help us to grow into life with you. And help us to turn more and more of our lives over to your way so that our lives become glorifying to you.
your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church. Join us in person or online at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning for worship. And now go in peace and serve the Lord. I want to encourage you after the message to head over to our YouTube channel and click the subscribe button. Over on YouTube, you will find videos of our entire worship service, a video cast of our weekly Cut for Time conversation with Pastor Clay and Eric, songs from our praise band One Way Up, and a bunch of other great things as well. Just search for Canton United Methodist Church. It would mean a lot to have you subscribe.